praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, as we have assembled here tonight, Lord, truly, that is our desire, that we could see you and know you and understand you in a greater way. We believe, Father, that you've given us your principles, your truths in this day. And we're so grateful, Father, that you've sent a message to be able to turn our hearts back to the original apostolic fathers. Lord God, we pray that you would move for every need that you're present. Dear Jesus, if there's anyone here tonight that don't know you, may they be able to find you before the service is over. If there's anyone sick, anyone that's weary, Lord God, you see the direction that I've studied to try to answer these questions, but if there would be a person here tonight whose need would lay outside of the confines of what I've studied, make me sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Lord God, if it was no more than five or six words for that individual that they would be able to be ministered to, well, we realize that's why we're here on the earth, is to serve you. We're here for more than just to make a living and have a vocation and go to school and get this degree or that degree or make a living for our family. Because one day, all of that will be over. We're going to come up to your house. So really, all that we've done for you then is all that will really matter. So would you speak to us tonight, Father, from your word we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's a privilege for us to be able to be gathered together here again tonight. Before we uh, go into the um, questions themselves, I'd like to read you a little something from uh, Proving His Word. You know, as a pastor, any, any aspect of the ministry, you're going to get questions. But a pastor is going to get more than likely more than an evangelist would or maybe a teacher would. And um, whenever a question arises, actually, that troubles people, in your church, it's actually my responsibility, it's my duty as a pastor to do it. So I'd like to share with you um, this tonight, just to kind of let you see a little bit of the responsibility that falls on your shoulders, improving his word. And the prophet said, you know, there's a scripture in the Bible in 1 Thessalonians 5.21 where it's written, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. When anything it is proven, it will either be proven right or wrong. And when there's anything in question, it should be proven until you find out what is right. It just makes sense, right? Now then, as you find out what is right, it is said, hold fast. In other words, grip it, don't turn it loose, hold it fast. In other words, hold it tight so that it will not slip. Hold fast to that which is good after it's been proven right. And anything that's proven not right, then turn it loose as quick as you can. Get away from it. Don't ever, never hold on to the wrong thing. Now listen, this is what's tricky for all of us. It is possible that staunch Christians, fine people, hold sometimes to the wrong thing, thinking it's right. But when these things should be proven, whether they are right or wrong, 
And it's the duty of all of us, and we're expecting to go to heaven when Jesus comes. And it's the minister's duty, when any question is brought up, that he solves this out and then proves it before the people that they might understand because no one wants to be found wrong holding to the wrong thing. So we have a scripture and Jesus said all scripture must be fulfilled that we should prove all things and then hold fast or hold tight. Get a death grip on it and don't turn it loose. Hold fast to that which is good. Praise the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? So that's what we want to do. Then as a minister, of course, special pastor, uh, there's going to be all kinds of questions. You can be seated. Thank you. Um, that I'm going to get, and, and some of them, um, you know, to be honest with you, some of them might be a little bit too plain to be able to deal with in public, and uh, some of them would pertain um, uh, to, to our church only. And let me just say this tonight, that answering these questions, that they are questions from our church, Word of Life Church. And so I'm going to deal with them for our church. Uh, if you're hearing this tonight, streaming it, or you're archiving it, and your pastor would tell you something different than what I would say tonight, well, I'll tell you what the prophet said whenever he was here. You follow the teachings of your pastor. If he's a man of God, he's ordained of God to lead you on. So God never sent me to straighten everybody else out around the message. But God did call me to be a pastor for the time being. This is why I'm at. So I want to answer these to the best of my ability. But if anybody else hears them, and I know they are going to be, because they were last Thursday night. I never got so many texts from so many preachers in my entire life, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So I know there's going to be a bunch more listening to them tonight. But brothers, these questions and answers ain't for you all in the first place. They're for my people. So if you want to accept them, and that's up to you. If you don't want to accept them, well, you know, you just do whatever you think is right. And if you feel like that we're wrong, then you pray for us that we will get right because we certainly want to be right. Don't we use of Word of Life Church? So <clears throat> I want to pick up on the question that I, the second one that we dealt with last Thursday night because I didn't totally get done with it. When someone speaks in tongues and an interpretation is given, how are we to know if the person is truly speaking with tongues? And how are we to know if a true interpretation is given? I don't know who asked this question because some of these questions were given to me by Brother Joe and by Brother Rob, and they were texted to me. So I don't know who asked them. It's not really relevant anyway. But I've had them for, this one here was one of the, uh, one of the first ones that I got. So I've had them for about five or six weeks, something like that. But I think it's pertinent for the hour that we're living in. And since I dealt with it on Thursday night, I've had a bunch more, needless to say. And I've, I've got some even this very day, talked to several, not only youth in our church, but some older people. On the phone today with a brother that's been here with us for many, many years, former Pentecostal guy. And uh, so it, there's an answer, there's lots of questions that are being raised up. But let's read, if you would, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. Now, Paul says, he that prophesied. Now, remember, we know that there was gifts in the Ephesian church and the other churches, but the Corinthian church was the one that seemed to have so many problems with the gifts. But in reality, if they had not had problems, would we have these scriptures? Paul never mentions this 
in the book of Ephesians. He never mentions this in Philippians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy. He never mentions this in any other of the epistles other than 1st Corinthians. So actually problems in a church or problems in a move of God will give the ministry a chance to be able to deal with them and help people beyond their own scope. Does that make sense to you? So if the Corinthian church had not had problems with these gifts, then more than likely we we wouldn't even know what the correct answers would be. So whenever you look at 1 Corinthians and then about five years later, you read 2 Corinthians and you see there was such a paramount growth in that church. A lot of these problems right here were totally resolved. But the way they were resolved, because a prophet of God was there to give them an understanding. Well, I'm glad he was there because we're still benefiting from his understanding of what gave him then. So watch now, Paul is dealing with tongues and interpretation and prophecy. Now, he also, of course, had to deal with women preachers because a lot of the converts in the Corinthian church, they were Greeks and they were Gentiles. And many of them women which were there, they were actually part of the idol worship. Corinth was a a great port city, and it was a city of tremendous idolatry. And most of those idol worshipers, they had actually, it may be strange as it may seem to us, but they had women that were priestess, and they actually had sex acts that were brought in to their worship. So some of the main leaders in the city of the religious temples of Corinth, it was actually women. So when them women then become saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, well, they wanted to come right into that New Testament church, and they felt like, oh, my goodness, they could preach. They could just take over the church because that's what they'd done out there. So Paul felt that it was important pertinent to the church and necessary, of course, for the church ages to be able to write and give them correction. Same with tongues, interpretation, because whenever the Spirit of God fell, some of them spoke in tongues, some of them prophesied, but they really didn't know, so how do we do it? What do we do with tongues and what do we do with interpretation? So Paul, as he began to write about it, no doubt to many of them, it was a great mystery. Now listen in verse 3. But he that prophesied, now first in verse 1 and 2, he's speaking about people speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues, of course, can be tongues of men and tongues of angels. Now, right here in the service last night, there were several people, the anointing was moving among us and the presence of God was falling among the people. And there were several people that I'm told that was under the influence of the Spirit of God and they were speaking in tongues and they were worshiping. Yet, the speaking in tongues that they were doing was not to be interpreted. It was not for edification to the body. So what is a person doing when they're speaking in tongues and they're worshiping and they're just praising the Lord? Brother Donnie, do you believe in that? With all of my heart, I believe in it. But if they are not speaking in a way that is to be interpreted, then they are to speak to themselves and to the Lord, and they are being blessed, and they're being edified. But now if someone speaks real, real loud in the service, and everybody is quiet, and there is no interpreter, then Paul said they're not supposed to do that unless there is an interpreter or they can interpret themselves. Now actually speaking in tongues is the least of all the nine spiritual gifts. I find that so amazing because it causes most of the problems. So it's the least, and yet it's one of the most misunderstood. But he that prophesies 
speaketh unto men to edification. Now, a person speaks in tongues, and Paul himself said, I thank God, we read it last week, I speak in tongues more than you all. But we don't have a recorded sermon in the entire Bible where Paul ever interrupted his sermon and spoke in tongues in that sermon. So where do you speak in tongues? Apparently in prayer, maybe along with God, maybe in intercession, we don't know. But there's not one recorded sermon in the New Testament where Paul actually interrupted that sermon and Luke or whoever it was wrote it down and Paul said whatever it was in a foreign language. Everybody understand that? Because Paul talked against that. He said that he'd rather speak five words with understanding than 10,000 in another language. So Paul said, he that prophesies. So now let's look at the meaning of the word. We hear so much about it these days. What does prophesy actually mean? Now let's forget what we think it means, but this is the original Greek language that this was written in. So, you know, the Bible wasn't written in English, so we can't always take our English words and say, well, that's what it means. The Bible wasn't written in English. The New Testament was written in Greek and Aramaic. So notice what the word prophesieth means. Speak forth by divine inspiration to predict the idea of foretelling future events. Now this is what Paul said when a man will prophesy, which is not saying, I the Lord, I'm here. I'm here to bless. I'm here or repeating scriptures. That is not prophecy. Praise the Lord. That is not predicting anything. Oh, but Brother Daniel, what if they say the Lord is coming? The prophet said they're not supposed to say that in prophecy. Well, praise the Lord. Why? Because they're not under the true spirit of prophecy. They're not predicting anything. They're quoting scripture. Now, notice Paul said, He that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification. Again, now look at the word. So it's to predict the idea of foretelling future events. Declare a thing which can only be known by divine revelation. Actually, what prophecy is, is something that's not even written in the Bible. Praise the Lord. Well, I'll give you the quote for that in a few minutes. <laughs> it's actually something that God wants to say, but it's not written in the Bible. Why? Well, God knows himself. Now look at the word, what it, where it comes from, prophecy. It comes from the same root word, of course, which is prophet. So who do you figure in the fivefold ministry would understand the most about prophecy? A pastor or a prophet? Look at his title. His very title tells you what he's called to do. Understand prophecy. So who would understand more about prophecy? A teacher or a prophet? An evangelist or a prophet? A prophet 
is one who has sent his visions, is the declaration of things you can't find in the word. So this is one of the reasons why that God tells us not to stand up and use vain repetitions and the prophet of God told us that prophecy is not standing up and just quoting scriptures over and over and over again. Now a preacher can do that. That's what a preacher is supposed to do. But real prophecy is to say something that's not actually written in the Bible. Well, it really makes you wonder how much so-called prophesying is really coming from the Lord because it ain't matching up with what God's prophet tell. Now, I know I'm weird, okay? And y'all can say amen to that. Don't bother me because I've been told that most of my life. I'm weird. I'm strange. I'm really, you know, kind of a nerd, I guess, or whatever you want to call me. But I'm, I'm the kind of message preacher that I just simply believe that Brother Branham was sent to restore us back to the original faith. I simply believe that if he did not have the understanding of the nine spiritual gifts, we have been following the wrong man. We have wasted years of our life. And we need to repent and recant for saying we've been following the message of the hour. Because if he didn't understand the gifts, he could not point us back to the original apostolic teaching. Well, I don't know what you believe about that statement I made, but I believe that he did restore us back. But the problem is tradition and preconceived ideas. And it's one of the hardest things you'll ever do is to get some of these message preachers to admit they are wrong. Believe me, I know. I deal with them all the time. But any man, I don't care whether he's a preacher, whether he's a teacher, whether he's an evangelist, whatever he is, any man with the Holy Ghost will admit the word is right and he is wrong. You can say amen, don't scare me. Now, what's this? So he that prophesies speaking unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifies the church. I would that you all speak with tongues. Praise the Lord. Anybody here not agree with that? I would that you all speak with tongues. But rather that you prophesy. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret. Now can a man or a woman, have double gifts? Yes. They could have diversities of tongues or they could have one tongue and they could speak in tongues and they could turn right around and interpret that tongue. Tongues and interpretation is prophecy. Now, listen to this carefully. One person could stand and speak in tongues and another one might stand thereafter and not interpret, but actually prophesy. Now, some would sit there and say, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's per- that person seemed like they spoke about 15 words, and then that other person seemed like they went, went about 25 or, or 30 words. How can that be? Well, the prophet explains it to us perfectly, and God being misunderstood that one is speaking in tongues, 
and the other one is prophesied. But if a person is interpreting what another person is saying, watch now the word, this is the word that Paul used. When he said that if he speaks in tongues, except he interpret. Look at what the word interpret means. To unfold the meaning of what is said. Explain, expound. To translate into one's native language. So then a person will interpret by explaining and will give this interpretation in their native language. Now look in verse 23. If therefore the whole church be come together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? But if all prophesy and there come in one that believeth not or unlearned, he is convinced of all and is judged of all. How so? So if he would hear someone speaking in tongues and would all have to say if it was the Spirit of God on them, it was holy, it was righteous, it was something supernatural that God was doing, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be genuine speaking in tongues? That would have to be supernatural. And yet it would not turn a sinner like it would if everybody was prophesying. Now notice Paul doesn't say that a sinner or the unlearned would actually be convinced or judged by speaking in tongues. But he would be convinced and judged by prophecy. So would that turn a person to the Lord by a person standing up and quoting scriptures and say, behold, I'm coming, I'm coming, my coming is at the door, the rapture is near, or I'm coming, that's what's gonna turn them to God? You know why they're gonna turn to God? The answer is right here in these words. Listen. Paul said, one that is believeth not or one that is unlearned, he is convinced. Now notice what prophecy is going to do to these individuals. Convinced means reprove, rebuke, to convict, refute, confute, generally with a suggestion of shame of the person convicted by conviction to bring to the light. So they're gonna hear something in prophecy that is actually gonna convict them and refute where they are. What if a lot of what we're hearing is true prophecy? Why are not we seeing this? Now God's Bible does not lie, right? Now notice what Paul then says, he's convinced of all, he's judged. Look at this word, judged. Examine, discern, specifically in a forensic sense of a judge to hold an investigation. So you mean prophecy is gonna do that to an unbeliever or a sinner. It's like a forensic investigation going on of what? Of this individual's life. Well, how in the world is prophecy doing that if those that are prophesying are saying, I'm coming, I'm here, I'm here to bless. They're not being judged. They're not being examined. So how in the world then is prophecy going to judge or examine a person's life and bring them under conviction? Praise the Lord. 
You see, this is the New Testament prophecy, not the Azusa Street version. Oh, my. Specifically in a forensic sense of a judge to hold an investigation, interrogate, examine the accused or the witness. Now, watch how verse 25 just explains that to you. Thus are the secrets of What? So apparently prophecy then is going to say something to people that is going to reveal the secrets of their hearts. So does telling them the Lord's coming do that? Well, if it should, they should already be under conviction before the end of the service as much as I say it, as much as all the rest of the preachers say it. If that, that alone will bring them under conviction and it will put them under a forensic investigation, then we shouldn't even need tongues and interpretation because the preacher should do it. But what is prophecy? It's the Spirit of God taking gift or gifts in people's lives and telling them, you have sinned. And it's making it so plain, it scares the liver out of you and me while we're sitting there in the service. And it puts us under the spotlight of God. The prophet will give us some examples of it. I don't mind telling you, I can see exactly why the devil don't want these real gifts in the church. You're talking about causing a revival. (laughs) Thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, He will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. So just by hearing us quote scriptures, just by saying, I'm the Lord, I'm here, I'm here tonight. Well, we know that. That ain't what prophecy does. Prophecy tells us something that is not written in the word. Praise the Lord. Notice this, God being misunderstood. Brother Neville, when you all want to know now these people that's got these spiritual gifts, if you all trust my understanding of the scripture, and I hate to say it, but the bottom line is there's a lot of folks' problem even around this message. They do not trust Brother Branham's understanding of the scripture. They trust their own better. I will come down to the meeting and just with you alone that has gifts so we can sit together and watch. Brother Neville in the church, that is God. God moving among them. And that's what we want. But we want to put that in order. Now listen, it's amazing to me when you go to reading these quotes that some of the ones that push the gifts so much they'll tighten up on you like like a tick on a fat dog. They'll just pull their shoes in. Oh, my, oh, no, oh, no. We're going to put it in order. We're going to kill it. Say what he said. If the word of God kills any gift, it needs to be killed. We want to put it in order so it can be a blessing to the church and do something. Now, God, I know 
and know the scriptures what to do. And that's what we want to do. You can imagine any preacher with the boldness to stand and go in the opposite direction. That when God's prophet said he knew the scriptures and knew what to do. And preachers in the mouth, oh, well, we don't need that. That ain't the way we do it at our church. Well, that's the way we're going to do it at ours. I want them myself. Anybody else here want them? Oh, I want everything God's got for us. But I do not want a Pentecostal impersonation. I want a genuine. Notice he said, so we're grateful. Now notice how Brother Branham looked. Gabriel's instructions to Daniel. At tongues, interpretation, and prophecy, how it was going to help him and his prophetic office. What a relief it is for me at home when I come home then. That discernment on the prophetic side just tears me down. And therefore, God has sent me some relief, relief for that through prophecy and speaking in tongues and interpretation, which is prophecy. And one time saying it, apparently it wasn't enough. You want to say it again, which is prophecy. So you mean Brother Branham looked to real tongues real interpretation as being equivalent to a prophetic gift of discernment? As I've been looking at this, I thought, Lord, thank you so much. God knew that in every church age, there wouldn't actually even be a prophet. God knew in every church there wouldn't be a prophet that would be able to have discernment. But God said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put some gifts in there Then even when there ain't a prophet, them gifts will do the same thing. Them gifts will do the same thing. Oh, you mean Brother Donnie, similar in the way it was like Brother Branham, this is the prophet himself saying this. God has sent me some relief from that through prophecy and speaking in tongues and interpretation, which is prophecy, which is prophecy. Now, I find it amazing, you know, that a lot of the brothers, they want to say, well, actually, you know, Brother Branham, did not preach that stuff out on the field. Brother Branham only taught that at his church. So really, it's not for message churches. It's just for Branham Tabernacle only. I just wish those brothers would have studied a little bit more and paid attention to the towns where Brother Branham was when he was correcting. You see, he was not only here to preach a bride revival. He was a Laodicean church age messenger. So he come to correct their errors. Now, you know what I find amazing is? I'm going to read you a quote here in a few minutes. It goes back for 66 years. And he was correcting things 66 years ago in the Pentecostal churches that we're having to correct in message churches. I hope and pray to God that we've not gone backwards. 66 years. Shouldn't we be further up the road, friends, than that? You mean, we're just now, we we are just now back to what Laodicea Pentecost was? Oh, my. Look at this in Saskatoon, which is Saskatchewan, Canada, 1957. Speaking in tongues, interpretation of the tongues, Not a bunch of wildfire, but genuine Holy Spirit. Revelations coming tells things that happens right then. Not something that says, 
Jesus is coming. We believe that. It's wrote in the book. God don't use vain repetitions. And he asked us not to do the same thing. But it's something definite for somebody in the church for a purpose. Again, he says, when you go into a meeting, the first thing you do, you get up there and have a bunch of tongues and interpretation and somebody raise up and keep quoting the scripture. What did he say it was? Carnal. You mean Brother Branham said that when people speak in tongues and interpret and quoting scripture, the prophet of God identified that as carnal? But yet a lot of us are calling it so spiritual. Oh, it was so spiritual. Really? Well, it's for me and my house, we follow in this. Pentecost never produced a rapture, and it never will. It takes the message of Malachi 4. Now watch, somebody raise up and keep quoting the scripture and that's carnal. Absolutely, he says. God said for us not to use vain repetitions. What about him? You see, this is why he told us that. Don't use vain repetition because what you've got God doing is the thing he told us not to do himself. So what if all the prophets After Moses, Moses stood up and prophesied and God was the first prophesier in the book of Genesis chapter three. And then Moses began to prophesy, of course, in the first five books of the Bible. And then every other prophet thereafter for thousands of years would stand up and say the same prophecies that Moses did. I, the Lord God, I, the Lord God, will raise up a prophet like unto me. I will raise him from among your brethren. And this is the way you'll know him. So we'll say that was Joshua. Then here come another prophet, Micah, Zechariah, Malachi, Obadiah, Jonah, Nehemiah, all these different ones of the Old Testament. And they all stood up and said, hallelujah. The whole hour of the Lord God will raise up a prophet like unto me. We didn't need a prophecy saying that. That was written in the Torah, in the law. But what did God do? If Isaiah would have said that, we would have never had a prophecy about behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. That was not written in Moses' writings. Zechariah could have never said, behold the man whose name is the branch. He shall come. Isaiah could have never prophesied, hallelujah. I feel like shouting a little bit now. He could have never prophesied and said, the lame man shall leap as an heart. Why not just say what Moses said and just quote the scripture? That Nahum would have never said that one day it would come to pass that the chariots would jostle on the streets. And the prophet said he looked at Chicago and saw Chicago and the outer drive around Chicago. He didn't know what to call them. He didn't know that they was SUVs and cars and Cadillacs and trucks. All he knew to call a moving vehicle on that day was a chariot. So you imagine my vision. He looks there and he says, I see it. I see it. Haggai 2-7. 
Whenever he said, the desire of all nations shall come, that was not written in the word. That's true prophecy. Oh my. Notice Brother Ram goes on to say tongues and interpretation, it's right. But it's to be a direct message to the church and to somebody. Not just carnal and things like that. Now that was at the tabernacle. Southern Pines, North Carolina. A bunch, I mean a whole bunch of Pentecostal people. 1958, 66 years ago. And then those discerners with the spirit of discernment. Thus saith the Lord. Now here the prophet is relating to these group of people how it was in his church at home. So they would have people that spoke in tongues, people that interpreted or people that prophesied and they would meet before church and they would pray and wait and pray and wait. And if tongues came and an interpreter, they had at least three people sitting there with the spirit of discernment on them. And they would hear these people speak in tongues and interpret or prophesy. Then the discerners would pray, Lord, was this you? Was this you? And it had to be at least two out of the three that would say, that's the Lord, that's the Lord. Then they would write that down. They'd lay it down up here on the pulpit and that prophecy was read that night. Now watch, notice how Brother Brennan gives us examples of what went on in his church. Well, friends, I'm not talking about prophecies that were made out amongst the Pentecostals. Brother Random was in New York in 1963. It was service after service. Pentecostals jumped up, interrupted his service, prophesying, speaking in tongues. Brother Branham was courteous. Brother Branham would stop. He would pause. It would seem as if though he went along with every bit of it. Until you go home, 12, 26, 63, about a month later, and whenever he's speaking to his home, bride people and then he tells them if there's ever been a thorn in my side and then he goes to talking about that meeting he just come from in New York y'all had never heard that before yeah that's what he done so he calls that a thorn in his side what was it speaking in tongues interpretation so called prophecy so called he was courteous he was nice he would make way for it and let it happen But boy, when he went back home, I mean, Katie barred the door. Here we come. Why? He's out there trying to reach the Pentecostals, but most of them would not be corrected. May God have mercy on us that we don't take on that same spirit. Now, notice the example that he's giving whenever he's relating to how it went on in his church. Thus saith the Lord, tonight there'll be a woman come in from a certain place. She'll have a green scarf over her head. She'll be brought in. She's from Ohio. Now remember, this is not discernment from Brother Branham. These were the gifted people that met in the room before church. To have Brother Branham to lay hands on her, but first before doing that, tell him to tell her. Now here are these discerners and the interpreters and all that. They're writing this out and they're giving this and said, tell Brother Branham to tell this woman. 
that when she was a treasurer in a certain church, she stole money. That's the reason she's paralyzed. Make that right and God will heal her. A discerner raised up and said, it was of God. The other one said, it was of God. They put that message down. When it come to the platform, a little buzzer rang from my study. I walked out. Here these prophecies was. I give it to the people right the way it was wrote there with the man with the discernment, right? No slip ups, there they was. Here's Brother Branham amongst some Pentecostals 66 years ago trying to straighten out tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. Lord, have mercy on us. Now watch how he gives this scenario. Then that night, there come a woman in. She's in a wheelchair or a cot, whatever it was. She's brought up, got on a green scarf. All the congregation's looking for it. Now can you imagine if this happened at our church on Sunday? And it's written down, laying up here. Brother Lou, whoever the song leader is, either they did or I did it. And I walk out there. We have a thus saith the Lord this morning. Tongues and interpretation came and the discerner said it was of the Lord. There's supposed to be a man in this assembly this morning. He's got one leg shorter than the other one. According to the prophecy that was given. That man did something wrong. He'll have on a certain tie. He'll did a certain thing. That man is here today. If he'll repent, God will heal him and make him well. That man walks out of the back up there and said, dear God, have mercy, that's me. That's me. But does that happen when we speak in tongues and interpret and simply quote scriptures? But if we prophesy and reveal the secrets of the heart. Oh my goodness. Help us, Lord Jesus. There she was. And I would say, lady, you stole that money out of the treasury. When you was, that's right. That's right, Brother Branham. That's right. God forgive me. I'll make it right. Stand up on your feet. Jesus Christ makes you well. There it was. Brother Jones, move away tomorrow at two o'clock. It's gonna happen. All right, he moves away. It happens fine. We thank the Lord. If it don't happen, there's an evil spirit among them. They don't get no more till they pray that thing away. You don't want that spirit on you. You don't want no folly. You don't want no hoax. You want the real Holy Ghost or don't pass any at all. That's the way I feel. Put your church in that kind of an order. Listen to this. And watch what Pentecost rises to. And we're absolutely scared to death that if we put it in prophetic order, it'll kill it. Then we don't believe what he said. He never said it would kill it. It was not his desire to kill it. Why would a God-sent prophet want to kill God-sent gifts? Put your church in that kind of order and watch what Pentecost rises to. Oh, I differ with Brother Branham. Well, let's see if you differ with this. That's the way Paul had it done. That's the way it's done in the scripture. You never find one example in history or in the church, you know it, 
bring it to me. Well, they stood up, thus saith the Lord, I'm here, I'm coming, I'm doing this and that and the other. Look at Agabus in the New Testament. Took up a piece of Paul's garment and he come and bound his hands. Didn't even know who Paul was. Thus saith the Lord, the man whose garment is this, he's going to Jerusalem and he will be bound there. Same one prophesied about a dearth, which was a famine that was coming. They did not do that in the apostolic church. Where does this come from? Azusa Street. Azusa Street. And he tries to hide under the name of original Pentecost. But devil, let me make it known to you tonight, old boy. We've got your number. And this word is going to expose your hide. You can't hide from the all-seeing eye of Jesus, devil. Praise the Lord. Now notice he said that's the way it was done in the scripture. It's not just while somebody's speaking, one raised up speaking tongues, go make an altar call, another speaks in tongues, no interpretation. No wonder it's Babylon. My, you've got something real. I want you to listen to this, friends. Out, the outside world is hungering for it, but not the way you're giving it to them. They're hungering for it, but not the way you're giving it to them. That's right. They long to find God. Neither do we want to go to the other side. Oh, we don't believe in them old tongues. That ain't nothing but a Pentecost. Brother Donnie, he's always been that way. He believes that. But I'll tell you why I believe it. Because it's in the Bible and it's in the message of the hour. And it's each one of you young people's rights as sons and daughters of God to have the baptism of the Holy Ghost in your soul. Well, all of you speak in tongues, more than likely you won't. But if God wants you to, then you should give him your mouth so he can do that through you. If God wants to prophesy through you, so be it. Did not the Bible tell us again by prophecy? When Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and said, these are not drunk as you suppose suppose they are, but this is that which was spoken. What's he quoting? Prophecy. But he wasn't standing quoting, oh, the Lord's coming. I'm fixing to do this and I'm fixing to do that. He was quoting a scripture that pertained to their day. And Peter could say, this day, this scripture is fulfilled. Prophecy. Oh my, I hope and pray to God, the bride of Christ around the world and every nation Get so sincere with God and get such a desire to have the Spirit of God move among us that the phenomenal and the supernatural will be in every day of our life, every service we have. Oh, praise God. What a time it would be to see God moving. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Talking to a brother today on the phone. When I had the saints last night to lay their hands on one another, Brother thought he was going to have to leave because he had a, such a terrible headache. And the saints around him began to pray for him. And he said, Brother Donnie, God is my witness. As them saints of God laid their hands on me, that headache totally left me. Brother Darrell told me about someone that was vomiting in blood last night. And they were going to have to do something with them. He prayed for the person right at the end of the service. 
Right at the end of the service, they took the individual down and going to scope it. It was totally gone. Couldn't find one speck of blood. That's our Lord Jesus. Don't tell me I don't believe in miracles. I believe in miracles. I am a miracle. Each one of you are a miracle. I want the genuine. I want the genuine Bible. Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Oh my. Thank you, Jesus. I'm sorry. No, I ain't. (laughs) Watch this again in Tucson. Tucson. Not Jeffersonville. Tucson. Gifts of tongues, interpretation in tongues. Now that is just in repeating or something, make a vain repetition. It's saying something directly to be interpreted for a certain person in the congregation or something to make a way. Tongues by interpretation is prophecy. And it's prophetic utterance given to the people to tell them what to do or something to correct them. Oh, if the great church of the living God could only be set in order. Praise God. Grass Valley, California. See, the Bible says that speaking with tongues is edifying yourself unless there be an interpretation. If the interpretation that's prophecy to the church. Jeffersonville, when anyone speak with tongues, it must be something to the church, and it must happen too. If not, it'd be an evil spirit. It must come to pass, because interpretation of tongues is prophecy. We know that's right. So we try to live the Bible just the way it's taught. Church order, which a lot of preachers don't like. I love it. Now we all know that the Lord is coming. We're aware of that. And if Neville, Brother Neville got up each night and said, behold, the Lord is coming. Behold, the Lord is coming. That would be all right. But he's saying that the pastor at the platform, he's got the word for that. Now watch him on down as he comes down in this quote a little farther. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, which is prophecy or a prophet speaking. That's something that's not written in the word. Don't you understand why some folks feel safe in their prophesying by just quoting scripture? (laughs) It don't put them under pressure. The Sunday morning a man will come in or a woman will come in dressed in a certain thing. There ain't no pressure by just standing up quoting scripture. Do we want the real or do we want a dime store copy? Praise the Lord. Is that what y'all want? Y'all want a dime store copy? You, you want a dime store copy? No. But Paul, is that what you want? What about the rest of you sisters, you brothers? You want a real? You want a dime store copy that just, just acts like? Don't you understand why Satan does that to us? He's scared to death of the real. And if he can bring something up that just don't quite line up and people will see a failure and you mark her down, you will see failures. And there will be more and more if people don't line up by the prophecy. Why am I trying to scare you? No, 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 no. You do whatever you want to do. I'm only telling you what the message tells us. Mama, notice this. Behold, the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. But he said, 
He's saying that the pastor, the platform, he's got that, the word for it. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, which is prophecy or a prophet speaking that something that's not written in the word. What's written in the word, he's to bring it. That's what his preachers are supposed to bring, of course. But what's not written in the word, you're to tell him. So if it's genuine prophecy, then it can tell me. Brother Donnie, when you get up Sunday, you preach for so long and you'll watch this certain person come in and you watch them. They're going to be saved. You can tell me if it's true prophecy. Praise the Lord. Like, for instance, tell Brother Wheeler, thus saith the Lord, tomorrow in his sand pit, not to go down to it because there'll be a truck turnover or something like that. It's got to be done. Now you spoke it, he's interpreted, then lay it on the platform after your ministry is finished, not after the church, the hymns start singing and so forth, your ministry is finished then. Let them come forth with what prophecy has been given. Wow, I mean, that's kind of plain, ain't it? Tell Brother Jared to be careful tomorrow because he's going to borrow his daddy's truck and whenever he does, there's going to be a certain something or another in the road and whenever he does, somebody lost an axle out of their car and it's going to go up the whole side of his truck and his daddy's literally going to kill him. So tell him, do not borrow that truck tomorrow. But instead, most of ours are so vague. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Question and answer 64. Now, I believe in speaking in tongues. I believe in interpretation. But it must. Say it with me. Must be something directly to the church. Not the Lord is coming soon. Or something which is all right. But don't use vain repetitions, Jesus said, as the heathens do. It must be something. Go tell brother so-and-so a certain thing that he done. Why? Go tell brother sister so-and-so. When they did a certain thing the other day, she transgressed the law of her husband's vow to her husband. Unless she makes this thing right, the Holy Spirit will cut her off. Wow. Don't you understand what tongues and interpretation really is? It brings a prophetic gift and puts it in every local body. I wonder how many of us would pray a little more if that started happening among us. I wonder how many of us would come in here with a different attitude to church. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I, I didn't like it because Brother Louie didn't leave the singing last night. I've just got a real attitude. I'll tell you, I just don't, I, I don't understand why it went that way. It was three degrees too cool for me in church and I, I couldn't get in for nothing in this world. Wouldn't you hate for God to prophesy to somebody and say, Brother Jonathan, you had an attitude there Wednesday night, boy. Don't do that again. God's going to cut you off, son. You come to the house of God to worship. You come to praise him. You come. Oh, Brother Ram said people ain't worshipers. That's the problem. Well, it's too hot. It's too cold. There's trouble in the church. This ain't going on. He said, you ain't no worshiper. A worshiper comes to worship God if everything is going wrong. If it's cold, if it's hot, oh my, if there's trouble in the church, a worshiper comes to worship God if they're the only one doing it. If there's 500 sitting there and they're as dead as a mouse, they're gonna, they ain't moving that worshiper. That worshiper is there to praise God. Oh my God, we, that's what we want to do. 
Notice, then you've got this, thus saith the Lord. Then bring sin in. That's when you got a church like it was with Ananias and Sapphira. Then we got a church that stands solid. And everybody said, Okay, now y'all can breathe a deep breath. All of you on the internet, you preachers that have passed out, wake them, wake them, wake them up now, because I'm going to go to another question. Now y'all can think I'm anointed of the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> now this is from an individual that I mentioned to you about that had some questions, and I asked them if it was all right if I used their questions. It doesn't make any sense to me that the Bible says they ate of a fruit. And somehow out of that, we got that Eve had sex with a snake. My answer to this individual when I was there with them in their home was, we do not believe that Eve had sex with a snake. The Bible does not call the serpent a snake. But it says it's the most subtle beast of the field. Now, let's read, if you wouldn't, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. So he was a beast of the field. And he said unto the woman. So this is not a snake. How many has ever seen a talking snake? I mean, maybe some two-legged ones, but you know nothing on their belly. So this, whatever this creature was, could talk, it could reason, it could think. Now, notice, and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, so he's not, you know, standing up on his tail and and she's interpreting. <laughs> And then out of that, she gets this interpretation of, well, the Lord God said this. No, he's actually talking because he had a voice. And he was not on his belly, but he was standing upright. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Look up here on the screen now at the meaning of the word Fruit. Wow. Produce of the ground. Also the same word in the Hebrew sense is used for the word offspring, children, progeny of the womb. Wow. So when you're talking about an apple or a persimmon or a peach or a pear, it was a pear all right. The pear on the ground. Not the P-E-A-R, but the woman and the serpent. So look at what she said now. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Now, does God always come right out and speak plain and simple? Or does God sometimes veil his terms? We know he does. What's this in Genesis chapter 30, verse 2? 
Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and he said, am I in God's stead? You remember the Bible, Rachel was really upset because she not had any children. And she comes to, to Jacob and said, give me children ere I die. Give me children ere I die. And he said, am I God? Am I in God's stead? Who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? So this was common then in the Hebrew language that children or the offspring were considered to be fruit of the womb. Deuteronomy 7, 13. He will love thee and bless thee. Moses prophesying now to the children of Israel. He will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb and the fruit of thy land and thy corn and thy wine. So God uses the term fruit not only to describe what was on the tree, but also on the woman tree. Psalms 127.3, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. So then, does the Bible also take trees? Are trees always mentioned in the Bible in the literal sense, or can trees be used in a sign as a symbol or metaphorically. In other words, God would use a tree, but it wouldn't actually mean something standing there with bark and branches and, and leaves. So look in Psalms chapter one, verse two. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. This is why David starts it out. And in verse two he said, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water and shall bring forth his fruit in his season, his leaf. So God is taking a tree and likening a righteous man or woman to a tree. And everybody said, okay, now watch. So God says they can be like that. Psalms 37, 35. I've seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Psalms 52, eight. I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in thy mercy, O God, forever and ever. Notice how David likened himself to a green olive tree. Now a green olive tree was an olive tree in its use. It was very flexible. So when the wind would come, it was very flexible. And David said, when I'm in the house of God, I, I'm like a green olive tree. I just worship and I raise my branches to God and the wind comes through and it just, I just bend in the presence of God. So David likened himself as a worshiper to being like a green olive tree. Psalms 92, 12, the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Proverbs eleven thirty. The fruit of the righteous, oh my goodness, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. A tree of life. He that winneth souls is wise. Song of Solomon chapter two, verse three. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. This is the bride likening the Lord Jesus to an apple tree 
among the rest of the woods. Now, an apple tree was a very special thing to them because it produces constant fruit, which they love. So she looked at Jesus and said that he sticks out from the rest. Of, of, uh, he's just totally different from everybody else. There's something special about him, and my heart yearns for him. So she said, he's like an apple tree amongst all the rest of the trees of the woods. So she's comparing him to all the rest of the sons of men. I sat down under his shadow with great delight. Ezekiel 31.8. The cedars in the garden of God could not hide him. The fir trees were not like his boughs, and the chestnut trees were not like his branches, nor any tree in the garden of God. Now remember, we're talking back past tense, but also prophetically of the great cherub that was in the garden of God, and he was like a tree. A tree in the garden. Now not an oak, not a walnut, not a hickory, not a pine, but a being that was likened to a tree. Look at Daniel's interpretation of the king's dream. Daniel 4.20. The tree that thou sawest which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto heaven and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair and the fruit thereof much, and it was meat for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. It is thou, O king, I wonder why, the God, why that God would give this man this complicated dream. Why didn't God just tell him, hey, look, buddy, you know what? You're the beginning of the Gentile kingdom, and, and you're the main man right now. Okay, you got it? Okay, it's that simple. But God don't do it that way. God wants to reveal himself through prophecy. He loves to reveal himself through correct prophecy. So he gives this man this complicated dream, and then the way dreams were interpreted was by a prophet. So the prophet Daniel and the prophet of God in our day tells us the way that a dream is interpreted when a dream was told to a prophet that the prophet sees that dream in a vision. Brother Ram said people would come to him and say, Brother Branham, I had a dream about this and this. And he said, he would start seeing their dream in a vision. And he'd say, why did you leave that part out of that dream? You never told me this and you never told me that in the dream. That's the way a dream was interpreted. So he would re-see the dream. So the king, the king had the dream. And then Daniel receives the dream in a vision. Because the God that can show you the dream in a vision can certainly interpret it to you. That's the way Brother Ram said, you'll know it's a true interpretation. So here he sees it, and whenever he gets done with the vision, he looks at it and he says, well, all these branches and, and, and all this, oh, oh, it, it, it's you. So all these people are gaining sustenance under your, they're getting shade and they're, they're getting strength. Well, that's all the kingdoms of the known world. They're all reaping because they're under your boughs and under your, your leaves and they're benefiting by you. So, O king, the tree is you. Praise God. John the Baptist, Matthew 3, 8. Bring the fruit, therefore fruits meet for repentance. Think not to say within ourselves, yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. 
So was John fixing to make some furniture? Was John chopping firewood because he's cold out there and he's fixing to make, cut down some trees? Is that what John was talking about? He was talking about them people that were standing there and telling them, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. You're fixing to get chopped down if you don't get life in you. That's the way prophets spoke in symbols. Oh, praise God. Notice again, Jesus, Matthew 7, 18, a great good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down, cast into the fire. Again, is Jesus talking about going through an orchard and cutting them down? Matthew 7, 20, wherefore by their fruits you shall know them. Luke 23, 30. Then shall they begin to say unto the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For they if they do these things in a green tree. And Jesus is identify him, himself as a tree. What will they do in a dry, which in case you don't know, is us. Now, go back to Genesis 3 and we'll stop here in a few minutes. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Proverbs 30 and 20. Such is the way of an adulterous woman. Now listen what Eve said. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I have done no wickedness. So to eat us was not her reaching up on a tree and pulling off an apple and eating. It was her partaking of a forbidden fruit. And the adulterous woman eateth and wipeth her mouth and says, I have done no wickedness. Now notice again in the same term as far as eateth, what it means. John 6, 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, how many believe you all have the life of Christ in you tonight? Have you ever ate his flesh? Anybody here ever drunk of the literal blood of the Lord Jesus? Ain't none of us even believes he literally meant that, do we? No. For what's he talking about in a symbol? So partaking in the Bible is many times identified as eating. Oh my. Notice this. Verse 54, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed. Can you imagine now some of them scribes and Pharisees, they probably thought this man is a cannibal. This man is a vampire. He's an absolute nut. I just wonder what these priests now and these leaders told their people when they got back to church the next Sunday. But now I'll tell you what, I seen you down there at that meeting and I couldn't believe that you was there. I'm just telling you, I'm, I was so disappointed in you. Now surely you did not believe. I've been telling you that man is a madman. 
I've been telling you that man, he was born an illegitimate child and, and they're, they're, all, they're, all, they're all weird. They're all strange. And this guy is the worst case that we have ever seen. This man was standing there and telling people they had to literally eat his body and drink his blood. Now you see, I've been warning you, this guy is a false prophet. But if you would have been a seed of God in that day, you would have said, Rabbi, I love you with all my heart, but I'm going to hear Jesus next Saturday. I'm going to hear Jesus next Sunday. They wouldn't have been able to keep you away from it. I don't care what they said. Because there's something in his voice that was drawing on that seed in your soul. Praise God. Notice, let's jump down here to verse 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat man and are dead. That he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Back to Genesis 3, 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Verse 6. So you mean eating an apple will open your eyes to good and evil. Wow. Reckon it was a Macintosh? Honeycrisp? I know what it was. A Granny Smith. You mean eating a fruit will open your eyes. It's partaking of something. Can I have a few more minutes? I can't stop right now. If you got to go, go on. But I can't stop right now. We've got to get a little bit of this next verse. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Look at the word good. Pleasant, agreeable to the senses, prosperous of man's sensuous nature. Now, have any of you all ever looked at an apple tree and felt that way? I'm going to tell you, you are really weird. <laughs> You're really strange. <laughs> Anybody, you'd look at a natural tree, and a tree, a natural tree would make you feel this way. Of course it would. But she saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant. Now remember, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, not English. This is the Hebrew word, tavah. Desire, longing of one's heart. Lust. What? Lust. Appetite. Covetousness. Object of a desire. So the woman sees whatever this tree was. She sees it and she goes to feeling something she's never felt before. And it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired. Wow, covet, take pleasure in, to delight greatly, desire greatly, to make one wise. She took of the fruit, took, marry, take a wife, 
snatch away. Take two or four a person. What are we talking about? We're talking about a union. A sexual union, not reaching up and picking a palm ground off it. Oh, I'm so smart after eating that peach. Well, some of y'all is going to be doing that for your next test, right? Forget studying, just eat all the peaches you want. Get all the pears, all the pumpkins, whatever more. We know better than that. You know what? I, I feel so sorry for the people of the world that read this Bible. They read this Genesis forwards and backwards, and they read right over the top of this. This is one of the mysteries to be restored in the last day, and we understand it. Thank God. Thank God. So she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. She gave unto her husband with her. His partaking was not by himself, but with her. And he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. I repeat what Brother Branham said, if eating apples makes people realize they're naked, we need to pass the apples again. (laughs) And somebody said, and the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves a face mask. Oh. Well, now wait a minute. If the mouse is the guilty part, Why are they sewing fig leaves together to make themselves a loincloth? Now the English says apron. But look at the Hebrew word. Loin covering, belt, or loincloth. So they ate with their mouth and they covered the middle part of their body. Why? They're covering where they were guilty. Oh my goodness. And made themselves loincloths. Verse 9, and the Lord God called unto Adam and said, where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who? Not what tree, not what fruit. Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman who thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree. She gave me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled, deceived to be beguiled. The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Wow. Paul in 2 Corinthians eleven two. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent. Ophus. This is the Greek word. With the ancients, the serpent was an emblem of cunning and wisdom. 
The serpent who deceived Eve was regarded by the Jews as the devil. And yet here Paul is talking about the New Testament church and them getting married. Why in the world would he go back to the Garden of Eden? Because once again, you have another Eve. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field, upon thy belly, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. So he was not on his belly until then. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed. I thought most snakes laid eggs. There's only about seven species of them that actually live bear. All the rest of them lay eggs. God wasn't speaking to a snake. So you mean the serpent had a seed. People say, oh, that serpent seeds of the devil. I agree with that. But the doctrine is the truth from God. Serpent seeds of the devil. But God said the serpent had a seed. We're going to believe God or some doctor of theology. I'll believe God. Amen. Let's stand together. Look at this word, seed. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed. Look at the meaning of the word. Thy seed. Sowing, offspring, semen, descendants, posterity, children. It's just as plain as plain can be when God opens your understanding. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy chewing and thy biting. Because thou biddest an apple off of the tree, from now on when you eat your supper, you will have great pain in your mouth. What? That wasn't it? Well, oh my goodness, how strange. God said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy, what? Conception. What's that got to do with eating an apple? God's punishing the area where the guilt is. Oh my. And thy desire, longing, craving of a man for a woman or a woman for a man. Why is God dealing with this? Why do you think there had to be a virgin birth? If the fall was by eating a fruit, then redemption should have been the Lord Jesus coming from heaven with some type of fruit off the tree of life, or some of the fruit we're going to eat and live forever because our use will be renewed forever, the prophet tells us. And the Lord Jesus comes down and he brings all these just baskets and baskets and baskets of fruit. That's redemption because that was the cause of the fall, according to most people. Then we go over and we take of that fruit and we eat of it and we got eternal life. And we go back to being young men and young women and we never get sick. So why was it there had to be a virgin to conceive? Because God prophesied and said, your seed, serpent, 
will be against the seed of the woman. And the woman don't even have a seed. She has an, a field, an egg. The seed comes from the man. God prophesying, saying, I will create a seed. God did. Aren't you glad he did? Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads together. Praise the Lord. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for this privilege tonight, Father. That we would be able to come together, Lord, and try my best to answer the questions of these young people. They're not asking them to be argumentative, Lord. They're not asking them to debate. They want to know. Lord, I pray that you would help me. Got many more that they've asked about various subjects. And I'm seeking your leadership, Lord, on how to answer them, even what order to put them in, Lord. I pray you'd help me. I'm grateful that they're willing to come, Lord. Many of you are here last night, and they turn right back around and come again tonight to be able to be in this service. I pray you'd bless them for that effort, Father. May you open our understanding. Thank you for letting us see this great truth, Lord. We're so glad that we really understand what redemption is all about. We thank you that we can see, Father, why you had to come to the earth. You could not come as an angel. You had to come as a man. Adam as a man forfeited our rights in the Garden of Eden. Jesus as a man, you forfeited your rights in the Garden of Gethsemane. That we could stand here tonight and be saved. It was lost through a woman. A woman falling in paradise. It would be regained by another woman, Mary. A woman turned it down, another woman accepted it and gave the word her body by which the word could be created and grow inside of her. Not one speck of her blood was in your body, but it was wholly created blood. So if there's a sinner here tonight or a backslider, they're not made clean by the blood of Mary and Joseph, but they're made clean by the blood of God. We love you tonight, Jesus. I pray for those maybe that's been around the message for years and years. If they live, listen to this tonight, I pray you'd open it up to them and make it even clearer than it's ever been before. I never study it, Lord, that I don't see more about it. I thank you for that. It lets us know that the message we have is not a dead word. It's a living word. Because every time we go to reading it, every time we go to studying and applying ourselves, we find the same tape we listened to before, the same book we read before, we'll get more out of it, more out of it, more out of it. It's a living message. It's not dead. It's alive. Oh, Jesus, we worship you tonight, Father. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. There might be somebody here tonight with a special need in your life, and we'd certainly be glad to pray for you. If you want to come up here, we will. But if you'd just like to stand there where you are, 
with no one looking around at you. You just raise your hand and you say, Lord, you know what my need is. Maybe you need healing. Maybe you need deliverance of something. Maybe you're just in a low spot in your life. We know we all get there sometimes. And we need encouragement. We need another touch from the presence of the Lord. Whatever you need tonight, would you just raise your hand there to the Lord? May I not just limit it to the visible audience, but maybe some of you are not sitting at home. You've streamed the service and you're really low, you're sick. You need a touch from Jesus. He's not limited. Hallelujah. He's not limited. Praise the Lord. He can come right to where you are. Praise the Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, we believe you're in our midst tonight just like you were last night. As you went among these people and they laid their hands on one another and sickness has started leaving them, Lord. It's not just a preacher move. It's a body move. Hallelujah. Lord God, may you move among these young people here tonight. How I thank you for them. How I love them. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, may you bring healing, deliverance. If there's anybody that needs salvation, anybody needs the baptism of the Holy Ghost, healing, whatever it is. Glory be to God. Glory be to God in the name of Jesus. We believe your angels are here present tonight, Father. May the angels of God pass through this audience. May they minister to the heirs of salvation. Praise your name, Lord. Praise your name, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Father God. We bless your name. We're here to testify. We are living witnesses of your resurrection. Our lives are testimonies of the saving power of Almighty God. We thank you for that tonight, Lord. Praise your holy name, Lord Jesus. Let's just worship him now, can we? Brother Michael sings. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We see a miracle, God, we believe. God, we believe. God, we believe, God, we believe, break the unbreakable, God, we believe, God, we believe for it, from the impossible, we'll see a God, we believe, God, we believe, for they say this, they say this, 
another revelation that we've had. The Godhead three are one. They're the same one. Father, Spirit, Son, the Lion and the Lamb, the Lion and the last Thursday night that I, I realized how little I know when you hear, when I, let me rephrase that, how little of simple things that I know. Because the devil will try to make you overcomplicated. I remember when I was a teenager, you know, I was, I was in church, but that was it. I was raised in church. I did my thing. I was backslid. I did whatever backslid church kid does. And I always thought 
that I wasn't a Christian because I couldn't understand things. I always thought you read the Bible, you go to church, you hear it preached. You're supposed to, if you're a Christian, if you got the Holy Ghost, then you're going to understand it all. You know, when he was, he was talking a while ago about when Jesus told the disciples, Jesus looked at everybody that was there. And he's in his, in his heart, Jesus says, this is too many. There's too many of y'all. Except you eat my flesh, you drink my blood. You'll have no part. And they all turned and left and walked away. Except the 12, you got to understand, them 12 still didn't know what he meant. They didn't know what he meant. But they knew who he was. Questions and answers didn't happen in 1960s and 50s. They happened in the four Gospels. Jesus would talk to the, the Pharisees. He would talk to the go to the synagogue and he would say, the sower went forth and he sowed seed. Some fell on the good ground. Some fell in the, amongst the thorns and the thistles and some fell on the stones. Talk about the, the, the man, the rich man owned a vineyard and he gave it to his son and he gave an overseer. He would talk to these parables. They wouldn't, the disciples had predestinated eternal life and they didn't understand it. So what would they do? They would go have questions and answers with him. What did you mean by this? What did you mean by that? And the Bible says he said it so they could understand. So if you don't like question and answers, I love it. I love it because I, I have to have things simple. If Brother Branham hadn't preached God in simplicity before he preached the breach and the seals, I'd still will not have understanding because he explains so much in God in simplicity to not overthink them seals. So just sometimes say you've got a question you don't understand. Don't let Satan beat you up with that. We, we, we got a pastor here that's, as we, he read that quote, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have him send me that quote because Brother Brandon said that's what the pastor's for, for doing question and answers. That's what I got out of it. It probably wasn't in that verbiage itself. Pastor's duty is to answer the question and answers. So I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I'm looking for the next one. I guess we're going to for a little while go every other Thursday or whatever he says. So me and, me and Brother Rob think we got the reins for a little bit, and then we find out we're just, <laughs> we got the bits. <laughs> but we love it. I, I, I appreciate y'all, every one of you. I, I counted it an honor to be one of your brothers, and it, it's an honor to serve with Brother Rob, Brother Joel, and Brother, Brother Daryl, and, and the pastor. It's just, a, it's an honor. You know, we're, we're, gonna, we're getting through Satan's eating. The minute of the rapture, you still probably won't understand everything. So, Brother Branham said, pray for understanding. Pray for understanding and turn in your question. So, I, I love you with all my heart. Um, I look forward to, I look forward to seeing all you young people on Sundays and Wednesdays. It's just a joy to, to see you. Just to see people that have a desire to be in church. It just does my heart good. Brother Maurice, would you come up here and dismiss us in prayer? Brother Maurice, Maurice will dismiss us and if um, let him sing some song. If you want to stay and worship, you're more than, more than welcome to. God bless you. Let's bow our hearts. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to say thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be assembled together, Lord, in your house of worship, Lord Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord, for a pastor, Lord God, who's being led and followed, Lord, being led by you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, you've given him the, Lord, the instructions, Lord, and the leadership and guidance, Lord, on the answer to these questions. Father, we just want to say thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, for a group of young people, Lord, that has a desire to serve you, Lord God, in such a dark and evil age as we live in, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace, Lord, and your amazing love and your amazing mercy, Lord, that you bestow upon us each and every day, Lord Jesus. Father, we commit the remainder of this time into your hands. Father, as we come to a close, Lord, may, Lord, as we leave, Lord, may we take your presence with you, Lord God, and may we just dwell upon the the questions and answers that was given tonight, Lord God, and may we just feed upon your word daily, Lord, and just grow more in you, Lord, and we ask you that you'll just grant us safe travel and mercies back home. May you keep and protect us, Lord God, and most of all, just fill us more with your spirit, Lord God, day by day, Lord Jesus. We love you and we thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song or two more, but feel free to just leave her prayer to it, whatever you feel on your heart. She was a virgin bride to be. And one night as she lay quietly, the Spirit of the Lord overshadowed her. And said that Receive a child that sin cannot defile. She said, Be it unto me according to the word. And she kept these
peace of God cover me. It's so 